back to Daily Discoveries, or if you're first time listening, welcome to Daily Discoveries. This week, we're taking a break from the last couple of weeks of you know molecular biology and human health, and we're going to talk a little bit about some bioremediation. Specifically, we're going to talk about a paper that recently came out from Texas A&M looking at ways to take CO2 and turn t- CO2 into degradable bioplastics. And this is very important. Every year, we produce about 300 million tons of environmentally persistent plastics, and about 80% of these are released to the environment. So big issue, the fact that we're producing just a bunch of non-degradable plastics, our output of CO2 is increasing as we continue to industrialize. And so the way that this Texas A&M, Texas A&M team really approached this is they use something called electrocatalysis. So they basically, if we're thinking about just general gen chem or going back to just batteries, we have a cathode and an anode. We then are able to shoot electrons at CO2 in this case, and then turn it into a viable product that bacteria, so it's, a, it's coupled to this bacterial colony that bacteria can use to then create these bioplastics. And it's, uh, it was done out of the Texas A&M College of Agricultural and Life Sciences, specifically the Department of Synthetic and Systems Biology, the Innovation Hub, and the Department of Plant Pathology and Microbiology. This I, I love this because it's kind of a two-in-one solution. They're both using carbon capture, which is, I mean, it's a evolving technology today where we're trying to capture the, all the carbon that we put out in the atmosphere. But they're also creating a very useful resource that we need to make more of and is a kind of a unique resource that can only be made through a specific way. And they're kind of coupling these two. I think that, that's really cool. Yeah. And what's really cool about it too, is right now biodegrade, like these bioplastics are fairly expensive because they're hard to make. But this paper showed pretty astoundingly that you can make them. And I think the rate that they made them is like six times faster than previously reported. So very cool paper. So now we can just go ahead and get into the paper. This isn't necessarily a new technique, this idea of you taking this electrocatalysis. So you just use electricity to change CO2 into a usable product, such as previously they had used carbon monoxide or even formate, which is just carbon. It's similar to carbon uh, monoxide, but you keep both oxygens instead of just going to one. And the issue with carbon monoxide is it is not very soluble. So they could make this, right? You make the carbon monoxide, but it just floats away as a gas. And the issue with the formate is it is more soluble, but it's a pretty low energy compound meaning the bacteria really don't want to use it that much. They're not getting a lot out of using the formate. And so there have been other attempts previously, for instance, the use of methanol. So if we think carbon monoxide, we have a carbon triple bonded to an oxygen. In formate, we have a carbon double bonded to an oxygen, and then we have this alcohol group on it. And in methanol, we just have carbon and an alcohol. So carbon bonded to oxygen and hydrogen. However, the issue with ethanol, sorry, not ethanol, methanol is that it's very slow. So all of these C1 compounds, so one carbon compounds are slow. Some of them are soluble. Some of them even have high energy, but none of them are really great options. And so this group, really the idea is they were going to take, they're going to make ethanol. So these two carbon compounds, because they represent, ethanol specifically represents a soluble option. So it will dissolve in water, right? Carbon dioxide is a gas. And so you need to be able to dissolve 
whatever the product of this reaction is in water or in this aqueous medium. That way the bacteria can use it for uh, synthesis of these plastics. And so they started off by looking for catalysts because you have to design this whole reactor basically. So they started off because they were like, we need to design a catalyst that's going to be good for life. And so they first found an appropriate electrode and they went with this gas diffuser electrode, which basically allows the contact of CO2 gas, your medium that you have all of your bacteria growing in and your solid, your electrode. And they had to figure out what that medium was going to be because it has, it can't be just your typical battery. Bacteria do not like living in battery solutions. So they had to look for solutions that were good for life. And the two that they really looked at were bicarbonate and then this phosphate buffer system. They found that the phosphate buffer worked just as well as the bicarbonate, if not a little better, in specifically with microbial growth. So they were growing the bacteria in these buffers, sorry. And they found that the bicarbonate was actually terrible for bacterial growth. And the, the phosphate buffer was very good for microbial growth. So the bacteria can grow in it, that's great. And then they took it to the actual just battery. So bacteria, we know that bacteria can grow in the solution. Now, can we actually perform this electrocatalysis in the solution? As I said, electrocatalysis is just the use of this electrode to shoot electrons at CO2 to change it into a usable form. And so they went through all these copper options. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure why they didn't look for anything else, but copper was what they decided to use for their electrode. And what they found was basically all the traditional copper options did not work. And so instead they went with this technique called sputtering, which is just a thin deposition. So they take copper and they're able to deposit it in a very thin layer on top of some sort of material. And the material they ended up finding worked the best was this poly, uh, polytetrafluoroethylene film. So they put it on there. It's porous, which means you can actually have the gas going through it. Um, you can have the gas going through it, but also your solution going through it. So they have this P, PTFE, that's what they call it. So they have the PTFE film. They have copper. They then figured out all this work and they took it to a biological setting. So... Not only does you have to have this phosphate buffer, you also have to have some nutrients. And I thought this part of the paper was actually kind of funny because, you know, life needs nitrogen, life needs some other things, and life needs a lot of these trace materials. And they just call the trace materials goodies. They don't really have another name for them. And what well, they named them, they, they actually named them, right? Or are they just. No, the, the, all the, so they have, yes, they have materials that they name, but then they literally just call the trace, like all the ones that they don't name. Like it's in the supplementary information, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all, all of the ones they don't name, just goodies, which are very minute amounts. But it turns out those minute amounts, uh, because of the cations, would interact with some of the, the water that's being, that's taking up electrons. And it would form these deposits on your electrode. And it basically destroyed the entire catalyst. So they had to kind of go back to the drawing board. And what they decided to do is they put a membrane around the cathode and they found that the membrane worked amazing. So the membrane prevented this depositions and it still allowed for the diffusion of the ethanol. So as I said, you take CO2, you shoot some electrons at it and then we, it will react and form ethanol. And also this membrane increases stability. So you could run the reaction a lot longer than previously. Finally, 
they decided everything is looking good. Let's add some bacteria. And just like before, it kind of ruined the system. As in the bacteria were just could not grow on this media initially. They, they did not like only having ethanol as their like sole product. And so they just did a couple generations of, I think they call it adaptive evolution. So they take their microbe and this, in this case, it's Pseudomonas putida and they grow it on the media. So, and this media that previously grew very poor on and this adaptive evolution works super well. It then returned to the normal growth rates that you see in industry. And so they now have the bacteria that will grow on the ethanol. And they were like, well, great. Let's figure out how to synthesize some uh, bioplastics. Specifically, they were looking at this polyhydroxyl alkanoates or PHAs. And Pseudomonas putida, putida has the ability to synthesize these. However, it will also degrade it. So they looked at their bacteria and they just removed its ability to degrade it. They knocked out that gene. They then overexpressed some of the genes for the upstream precursors. And they also overexpressed genes to take precursors out of other pathways. And so from there, they were able to show that they could not only do this entire pathway from CO2 to producing bioplastics, but they're also able to produce bioplastics significantly uh, at a significantly greater rate than previously seen. And I believe it was six to nine times what was previously described. Any thoughts, questions, comments? You summarize that very well, I think. Yeah. And, you know, th this is a really cool example in my mind of kind of the, what, what we can do with the combination of biological systems in industry, right? Like we do not have the same chemical capabilities that biology does just because of enzymes, right? We have these biological organisms have these beautiful little molecular machines that can do crazy chemistry that we cannot even hope to do at the moment, but they can also do it at a much higher efficiency than we can. So I thought it was this beautiful combination, the whole paper. It was really great. Yeah, I, I loved it. And I loved at least the way I saw, it. I know you didn't see it like this Hayden, but I saw it as like, they encountered all these different problems as they were making this system. And every time they had to kind of assess that problem and find a solution for it. Like, for example, in the beginning, they were looking at C1 substrates, but obviously those were low energy and they weren't very good at, uh, they weren't very good electron carriers as they went on to C2. And then they, I mean, for the uh, actual electrode, they had to make the combination of the electrode and then the membrane that they had to add because of the deposits that were being created. And then the bacteria didn't grow the well. You know what I mean? Like it just goes on and on and on. And it's like all these different problems that came up and they had to kind of tackle them all the time. I thought that was, I don't know. I, I love that part of the paper. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm in complete agreement. I think before we, we had discussed a little bit about whether or not it was like, is this optimizing the process? And I didn't, I mean, to me, I didn't come off as they were necessarily optimizing it as so much they were finally figuring out a way to do it. And I'm totally with you there that the problem solving was super cool to see. And the fact that they mentioned it, like, it was not like the paper came up and they were like, oh yeah, we started with the membrane. They basically went through the entire process of, well, we, we found our electrode that worked really well and then it didn't work. So we got to fix it. And then, you know, we put our bacteria in and that didn't work either. So then we had to fix it. And I love that part of the paper. It was just this great example of problem solving. Yeah, I guess you're totally right. I guess they're not optimizing it because like they hadn't even created it yet. So, I mean, optimizing it would be like once they've actually made the whole system, then 
trying to figure out what they can uh, make better to make it more production or productive. Yeah, it was, this is a, a great paper. Sanjana found it. Thank you. This was awesome. It was, it was a nice little breakaway from our, our typical, I mean, there's a little bit of biology in it, but it's yeah. very different from the past couple episodes, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I found it really interesting, like the combination of the chemistry and the biology. And I feel like that problem solving they did and like the protocol they made, I feel like they could use that to further develop the system. Maybe if they decide that they want to look into using other greenhouse gas emissions as well, they could use this protocol to problem solve and figure out a way to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. I I think one of the cool things about the problem solving like them very explicitly laying that out is it provides just kind of like a good framework for thinking about problems in general. Like if you encounter this in your research, well, here's a way that they solved it. So potentially you could do the same, even if it's in a different system, right? Even if you're trying to like completely different than synthesizing plastics, if you're just trying to synthesize any sort of needed material and you have some starting material and your bacteria aren't growing, well, maybe you just need to do some adaptive evolution. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really cool. I mean, obviously coming up with the solutions, I wonder like what the actual time frame is because <laughs> they make it sound easy when they're writing it in a paper, but I don't know. I have a feeling that this was they're pretty creative. <laughs> not necessarily the most straightforward. Like I, I, I would imagine this took a while. Just thinking about the different knockouts. I mean, that was probably a several month long process. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wonder how they found those knockout genes. Were they just known already? in the actual production of this type of plastic? Oh, as far as the degradation genes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would assume that the genome has been fairly well characterized, given the fact, because I think this strain, the Pseudomonas putita, is a pretty common industrial strain for any sort of biosynthesis. Yeah. Yeah, it says that it has been used to produce like a variety of commercial products. So, yeah. 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 So I'd assume the genome's pretty well annotated. They kind of know what's going on there. But then wouldn't you think that this bacteria would already be optimized that way? Like, wouldn't they already have a strain that is most suitable to make this type of plastic? Or is this type of plastic not been synthesized before using this bacteria? Um, I don't, I don't know about that, but it might be that, because it also depends on the, I guess they actually just did a lot of the main pathways, so the main plastic pathway. So that, uh, PHA, the synthesis of the PHA, that they, the knockout was in that PHA degradation. So it's not like they did a whole lot of genetic work outside of that, except for they did some overexpression of the enzymes responsible for pulling precursors out of the fatty acid oxidation pathway, the beta, hmm. beta oxidation. Um, so the more energy was kind of concentrated towards making plastic. Yeah. So instead of those, those good precursors being used for, I don't know, <laughs> or energy we can instead make more plastic with them (laughs) yeah yeah but that brings the question once you've made this type of bacteria how long does it survive for and like in this especially in this medium and like yeah how long does it stay viable is that something you have to be worried about i think they did they run it for some period of time i think it was like three days right um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe they ran it for some time, but I don't know if they ran three days might have been earlier when they were looking at the stability of the entire system and not with the bacteria. Yeah, I'm trying to see if they they mentioned anything about the time scale that they 
were able they to- just said like the amount that they can produce per liter within 24 hours but yeah i mean i don't know yeah so they definitely mentioned like the they're they're producing roughly 560 milligrams per liter of this pha mm-hmm. on a daily basis so i'm not entirely sure what typical industrial production of plastics looks like per liter so i couldn't tell you if that's like x amazing or not. no i mean it's better than past attempts obviously oh yeah significant but, I mean, yeah. past attempts that's for sure i was just wondering did they ever mention how the bioplastic they made degrades um i don't think so i don't remember reading anything about but i mean isn't it using like like this a lot of bacteria are able to degrade this practically because they had to knock out a gene that is the gene that allows these bacteria to degrade this plastic as well yeah so at least in this strain they're able to degrade it now if it's if yeah. that gene is widespread throughout bacteria i'm not entirely sure like, am I able to throw this plastic in my yard and then, like, a banana peel within a week, it'll be gone or something? Well, Oscar, if your banana peels are disappearing in a week, it might be because we're <laughs> eating them. I don't, I don't think bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take? I thought it was like a week. I don't know. I feel like uh, have you have you never left a banana just like sitting in your cupboard for a week? I mean, it just gets like slowly grosser and grosser. But no, uh, like, it, but if you leave it outside, it's different. Like I said, are you sure this isn't just like your friendly garden squirrel eating your stuff? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't, this is not an actual experiment that I've done, but <laughs> now I'm curious. Okay. Your job in Germany. We'll be back next week. With <laughs> how, how quickly our banana now, peels. If you go put a banana peel out right now, you can report to us next week. Holy <laughs> great. Okay. Let me just quickly eat a banana. Well, all right, folks. That was all I had on this paper, kind of a shorter episode this week. Yeah, there's, there's not much to discuss, really, because, yeah, I don't know. I don't have that many questions, except for that. I just I just wish that they kind of ran it for some time and kind of reported the results of it. I don't know. Yeah. One other interesting thing uh, about it is they. I think that they were producing a good deal of hydrogen gas or no, they're ethylene. So I wonder they're producing a lot of ethylene as a gas. And that's actually how they are measuring some of their efficiency because you can't measure efficiency if you have like your bacterial, if you have your bacteria eating the substrate, it's hard to measure the efficiency. So instead they were measuring their production of ethylene. Which Um, is a byproduct or something. Yeah. So there are lots of other, you know, there are lots of ways that the CO2, once it's reduced, so it gets that electron can react. And ethylene is actually, it's not only a reduced version of co2 it's then just a reduced version of what's ever next right you have that double bond yeah carbon it's the most so reduced it's a pretty reduced carbon and be interesting to see what the applications of that compound are you know can we capture that and use that for either a biofuel or other like fast energy production because it's not i mean that's a not a low energy compound yeah yeah i wonder maybe we can create like some kind of fuel out of it Perhaps. I don't know enough about biofuels to mention more than the fact that that was a, an interesting fact. Well, that is all I have. If no one else has anything more, we can call it good for today. Okay, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Daily Discoveries.